Welcome to Untitled, the only podcast without a title, so technically you're just buying it for parts. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Uh, we just watched Season 3, Episode 13, titled Chapter 39, the season finale of House of Cards. Uh, actually, we watched it a couple of days ago, uh, and as you can tell, I got sick. Uh-huh. What do you think of this episode as a finale to Season 3? Well, uh, I gotta admit I disappointed and retroactively disappointed in the season as a whole. I feel like that Okay. this feels like it should have been three seasons, and instead of having like each season be more and more breathless and more... And I know there's opinions divided on season two, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, I did too. But the stakes kept getting higher, and the craziness kept intensifying. I feel like they split what could have been a really, really good... Uh, you know, final season into two parts, presumably. I mean, good God, if they don't end it next season, then, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of homeland all over again. You take a concept that's really good, really interesting, and you stretch it to where you start having to tread water and, and, and get on narrative treadmills to keep it going. I mean, what's... It's like... And not to sound, not to shit on the season too bad, because I still enjoyed it and it had its moments. Yeah, I wanted to say I don't totally agree with the whole season being bad retrospectively, but I'm not saying the whole the season. The second half was certainly worse than the first half for me. Re- Man, that's I feel like that there. Was I like the stuff with s- Petrov quite a bit. I feel like there was a six or seven episode stretch in the middle because I thought the first three, yeah maybe it's more than the middle. first three episodes were kind of like I know you and I both were like huh. Yeah, the, so much focus on Stamper this season and not enough reason to focus on him, right? And, and very, again, treading like his brother came and dried him out and helped him through recovery, and then he fell off the wagon, and then his brother came back. and To what end? Yeah. That's the real question I have. Um, like, was that that that's the scenes with Doug and his family just to show? I mean, because he's been a very uh sketch of a character he is frank's henchman yeah. and that's it he's been he's been the lapdog certainly and you know we saw some the creepy side of him with rachel and now we got to see i guess the family man or what you know what he could have been if he'd chosen a different path but yeah. i don't know that i care yeah it's it's almost like a battle for stamper's soul this season um is it going to be his family that brings him back toward humanity or is it going to be his will to please Frank and to do the things that he needs to do uh, to be on Frank's good side that win him over. And I think, you know, in the end, he makes his choice. He doubles back in that. Does band. he really, though? Because I feel like that this episode is kind of that in a microcosm that uh-huh. the show did a very good job of keeping us on the edge about who is Doug's real allegiance to. But at the end of the day, yeah. the way it played out, I don't feel like Doug ever had a moment of doubt. It was always Frank. The doubt was just us not being able to see into his mind and soul and interpret all the actions correctly. I don't think you can say that he doesn't he doesn't have a doubt when he lets her go. No, I get it, but that was again, you know, much like the things we've seen before, where it's like, oh my god, he's going to give the journal to Akbar, uh, or he's going sure. to. You know, Th- that's why I'm saying it's a battle. You know, it's not it's not that he's clearly on one side or another. He's torn between his duties to Frank and his desire to be a human fucking being. Uh, but in the end, he does make the choice to go back to Frank, uh, which is in stark contrast with the choice that Claire makes, which is I'm done with this shit. Yeah. I mean, that I guess his lines are drawn between people that will carry Frank's wa- water for him and people that won't. And like, where sure. is their breaking point? Because this is the episode where 
Frank finally treats Claire like he's treated everyone else. Yeah. As completely yeah. expendable and completely dominant to his will. Finally tells the truth as to what's been going on all along, I think. Sure. Did you find that kind of shocking? Because I I guess I had all along subscribed to Thomas's kind of fairy tale look at their marriage, that they were true equals. I mean, they're like yeah. Frank says, the office has one chair, so you know, then shame on Claire for not realizing that. But I think it kind of, and not to you know get too uh, too whitewashing of Claire's character. Mm-hmm. Claire really kind of turned around when she lost the UN gig. Yes, I definitely. mean, I think that's something you can't ignore. That she was kind of on board and fairly happy with everything that was going on, but as soon as she had to go back to what she's always done, which is the cheerleader to Frank's, you know, actually accomplisher of things, that she got really fucking sick of that shit and wanted to know what's in it for her. Yeah, I think it was back in season one where. Claire really starts to give up a lot of stuff for Frank. You know, she has this foundation that she's working on with the charitable works. And that's kind of her baby. And she has to give that up in service of Frank's goals and Frank's uh, aspirations. Yeah. And she does that willingly. But at the same time, it takes away a piece of her, you know. And there have now been so many pieces chipped away. She'd been given this UN thing and she thought, okay, maybe Frank is going to help me after all. And this will be more of a mutual thing. And when that comes crumbling down again in service of Frank's goals, that's not just too much that, for her but to also take. that she realized that he doesn't need her the way that she needs him. And this is like goes beyond yeah. just a sexual yeah. thing. But that is, I mean, it's 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 got to be. I, they played with us a lot in season two of Masters of Sex, which I know you didn't you didn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, what it must be like to be a spouse who realizes that, like, well, you know, he might not, he might have tendencies or he might be bisexual, but he's just never been interested in you. Huh. Like, the line yeah. about, like, I need you to look at me when you're doing it, too. Uh-huh. And then he can't. He can. I mean, that's, like I said, that's straight out of season two, Masters of Sex. Um, hmm. uh, that's just got to be... A, you know, someone like Claire, who's so beautiful and so personally powerful, to realize that she's had very little personal power yeah. that's actually been expressed, and that she's given her, you know, youth to this person who's just used her up. Mm-hmm. And what has she got to show for it? I mean, like I said, it's it's kind of interesting, but it's just such to me. Imagine this whole season as this first six or seven episodes of a really fucking awesome season three of House of Cards. Sure. Yeah. And you start getting excited, but mm-hmm. realizing as a, you know, kind of a three episode slog, it loses a lot of its power. Yeah. I, and it's, it's tough to say that about what I feel is one of the most compelling parts of the season, like the most compelling sure. threads of the season, that it was, you know, in the end, somewhat unsatisfying. But that's that's indicative of the quality of this season, I think. And they've also painted, you know, we got a we haven't officially started a podcast yet, but um, oh, we haven't. I feel like <laughs> there's a lot of interesting avenues that they could can potentially explore, and certainly some listeners have given us feedback in that regard that I just dismiss out of hand because it's like Claire hmm. as vice president. That doesn't look possible at this point. I mean, yes, the American people love her, but. Th- that's just a more high-profile version of the uh, UN gig, right? 
It's something that he sure. and and he can't. Yeah. You know, she can't. It's do Donald it Bly's position, for God's sake. Yeah, and like I said, <laughs> it, that doesn't address her main concern of well, if we're not in love and our relationship is just a sham. Mm-hmm. Then I want to be able to get things on my own. I want to have my own hookup, my own little thing. Well, yeah. being being the vice president is is bullshit compared to that. Sure. And also, I, I feel like they already did it by shoehorning her into the UN ambassador gig and having her flame out. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- does that is that really interesting? Is it plausible? What is that going to look like in a season four? I don't think they're going to go that way. But yeah, I think the answer to all of the above is kind of no. <laughs> Yeah, like I don't feel like it's very plausible at all, and mm. I don't feel like it's all that interesting either. I mean, just um, the... and I don't feel like it's plausible for a couple of reasons. A, because Frank appointing her as vice president would be a really dumb move. I think, and it's 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 a husband and wife team. I mean, that's just too. She has no experience um, other than this UN gig, which he appointed her to just by fiat, basically. Sure. Um, so people aren't going to take kindly to that if yeah. he decides now she's going to be the vice president. Uh, not gonna like that. And B, Claire is not gonna be satisfied with it because, like right. you said, it's she's not her own horsepower. I mean, yeah. what is she? And and like they can't stay apart because her divorcing him in the middle of the run is just going to. It's your 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 presidential campaign's over. I think so. Yeah. You mean we can argue? If your about, wife can't stand by you. Why should the American people? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like that's one of the few things American politics was I can't really argue about. Like. You know, yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty self evident that's that's sound reasoning. That's I think sound so. reasoning. Yeah. Especially since it puts the lie to what the public's perso- image of this relationship's gonna be. Like, yeah. oh he, she loves she's so supportive and they're they just love each other so much. Oh no, that was actually just a sham. And and you tack that on down. top of the Jordan Valley lies, that's gonna be an issue. Uh Dunbar's just gonna eat him for breakfast if if this gets out. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and I think it has to get out. Like I don't the end of this series, or sorry, the end of this season, uh, that scene where she says, I'm leaving you, and she walks out, that was a very lucid moment for her. It was not something where she's going to be persuaded to turn around uh, for the sake of the campaign, for the well, sake of Frank. Done, she's uh, out. How is this different from her going off and spending a week with her boy toy photographer in his New York apartment without taking phone calls from Frank and all I mean, it's different because this is the middle of an election where she's expected to be on the campaign trail with him, right? Sure, but if she's gone for another day or two, that's the thing. Like, I don't see this having legs. Like, but I don't she... see her ever coming back. Is the thing. Like, I, I can't Which... see her being convinced to return. Okay. Unlike happened with her boy. Toy. I get it. And if we had five episodes to go, I'd be kind of int- intrigued. With thirteen episodes to go in a season, <laughs> what the hell uh, are they going to do with this storyline? I, I don't know. It's. It's going to have to be the downfall of Frank, and it's going to have to be him fighting against it. But I, I don't know how compelling that is. I mean, there's so like the stake. We, I feel like the it table, just seems like that's the game over. The table was set for him to fall last season, mm-hmm. and now just even more stuff has happened. So it's like, I, how does Frank fight his way out of this when he has no ally other than Doug? And yeah. there's only so much murder you can do, and they probably <laughs> use that up on the Rachel plot. Like, uh-huh. there's a lot of people calling bullshit on Doug's globetrotting, whore-killing expedition. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I mean, I would have I would have faith that they could do something interesting in season four, except for <laughs> I just got done in season three, and I'm yeah. like, oh, it looks like you guys just fucked up. You took one compelling season, you broke it into two, and now mm-hmm. you got nothing to do. You, got, you fell in love with your... 
you know, 52 chapters and a deck of cards. <laughs> that theory, huh? You, you dealt out a joker, and now you don't know what to do. Sure. Shit, we need 53 episodes. Ah, <laughs> oh, there's there's the rules card. My God, there's 54. <laughs> Isn't there two jokers? There's two jokers, yeah. Yeah, oh, they, need a three, they need a three-episode prolog. They'll end with a movie. Yep. They'll take the yep. three cards. Uh, it'll be the three two jokers movie. and the rules according to Hoyle. That'll be the title. <laughs> Of the House of Cards movie. Rules according to Hoyle. Two Jokers, that's Doug and Frank, and Uh Rules according to Hoyle, I'm assuming is Claire. Let's let's officially start this podcast by doing our traditional uh, director-writer thing, yeah? Uh, Yeah, it was written by um, Bo Willimon, who's the executive producer, et cetera, et cetera. Creator. uh, Directed by James Foley, who uh, directed episode five and six of this season and is primarily... Uh, he's done a smattering of television, but you know he made his bones directing uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, so classic. Yeah, and it seems like a guy that directed that would be really at home at House of Cards. He he does a fine job. Uh, again, this episode is very well made and fairly tense, and there were some shocking moments, but it's just, it's structurally, it just was betrayed by everything that came before it in the season, and from our expectations, I think. And visually, too. Uh, House of Cards has a bleak, drab color palette, for the most part, uh, which which clashes with my vision of New Mexico as portrayed in Breaking Bad. It is amazing what a soulless blue filter will do to yeah. New Mexico, because it, it... makes it look like shit. It really does. It really does. And, you know, I don't know that they actually filmed in New Mexico either. Sure. But those those mesas were not as beautiful as the ones we see in Breaking Bad. No, they don't pop. No. They're muted. Not at all. Uh, and that's, that's the point. I mean, he's not out there to, to have a good time and cook some meth. He's out there to kill someone. So... I did like how they opened this episode with the Rachel ta- montage of her kind of getting up and she's at her hostel and she's sharing a bathroom and we see her in all these cam shots, which is kind of like paranoid because of what we know, but they've got this, you know, version of hallelujah behind it. That's kind of like optimistic and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And the shocking thing is that she genuinely seemed happy. Like yeah, she's not so. having, I kind of half expected her to have when she settled in with the Latinas and they split which I, I can only assume one of Jesus's miracle bottles of wine because they split that up between like nine women and everyone had full glasses. <laughs> it's just it, it's it's the minor minor miracle. I'm, I'm going to say there were multiple bottles of wine. It 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 was a bottle of wine is what was was <laughs> promised, and I only saw the one being passed around. Maybe it became you know the giving tree. Yep, parable. Uh, but I kind of expected her to make some maybe ill-advised statements about her past hmm. that would okay. show that maybe that maybe she's actually itching to get this out, or that maybe Gavin would would you know contact her some way to warn her, and there'd be some kind of suspense. But it's essentially, she's living her own life. She's got a new fake ID. She's not a whore anymore. She won't, Cassie won't even give a blowjob to save a hundred dollars off a fake ID. Nope. Uh, and I felt really bad for the way she went out. I was kind of pulling for Doug to let her go by the end of the episode. And I kind of thought he yeah, would. Yeah, I, I was too. Uh, and he did for a second. <laughs> um, he did. But as soon as they, the way they framed that of her walking away, into tr- as soon as I saw that, I'm like, there's no fucking way. He's turning hmm. back. He's running her over. All right. Well, you were right about that. Uh, yeah. I, so 
was that all necessary? Was that something that you wanted to see? Was that something that no, even I, after seeing it, you were like, mm, don't care? I mean, maybe that's the point, that there was truly no reason to kill Rachel. Killing Rachel... It's, that's true. I, well, and I guess that's th- kind of true. I mean, regardless of what she says... It, that information is still out there. Yeah, it's just a ticking time bomb. Yeah, you just yeah. want your warm, snuggly covers and your book to read and a sunbeam. and Until you cat. don't. And then... Until you meet the man of your dreams and you fall in love and are you going to really keep this deep, dark secret to yourself? Yeah. So yeah, she's a liability. I kind of understand that. I think it would... Is this going to be worth it if it turns out that it's not Zoe, it's not uh, her knowledge of what... Uh, Rachel's knowledge of what he did to um, uh, Russo. It's none of those things, but it's the cover-up that brings down Frank Underwood. Like, if he'd have just stopped, if he'd have just stopped this season, he'd have been fine. But, you know, I I get Doug is careful and he's doing this, but he went on a globe-spanning romp to kill this woman. The chief of staff, How many photos did he get of this, you know, these surveillance cameras work both ways. Like, apparently this small New New Mexico town is wired for sound and light, and Doug is walking around inhabiting this thing. Um, Yeah, and I wonder what Gavin can do with that. Yeah. Like, I know he threw his computer in the bay, but... (laughs) That's just (laughs) Doug's latest addiction. (laughs) Drowning electronics. Drowning consumer electronics gear. He can't get enough. Yeah. He's putting Samsung out of business one phone at a time. He's going to have a whore put microchips in his mouth. <laughs> and then shoot bourbon ne- in there? Next week, yeah. <laughs> next episode. Um, I I don't know. I, I, do you think it's wise that he misunderestimates? Or underestimates? Jesus. Um, uh, Gavin? Because... Underestimates Gavin. What do you mean? Well, like he goes down there and like goes to, down to Caracas and threatens and intimidates and bullies and fucks this guy's life up and promises there'll be more of that uh, more more coming. Mm-hmm. Well, Gavin is like one of the best hackers in the world. He he got this stuff, you know, before he knows what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. He clearly has access to these camera feeds still, not even with his FBI contacts, because he's provided with fucking Doug. All you needed was a camera to the 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 to plug into that stuff. Yeah. I just feel like that would be kind of ironically appropriate if it's not all the sins, but it's the final desperate cover-up of Doug, his loyalist soldier, that undoes hmm. him. But yeah, it could be. But I mean, Claire's fucking getting a divorce. That's going to de- do him in. That's the thing that that does in his presidential ambition. And that's that's the other thing. Sure. Him grabbing her by the jaw is a bridge too far. Like if they hadn't done that scene, uh, if he hadn't just been so menacing, like, and she tries to jerk herself, but he just won't let her. How do they walk that back? I don't see. I didn't have a huge problem with the way that scene played out. I think it's given ba- the sex scene that nearly happened before that. So you think he, what he said is like you think that he thought he was giving her what she wanted? Yes. And do you think he can excuse that all away with uh, some kind of? Oh no, 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 no! I think this relationship is over. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Like, but I don't. I don't think that that sentiment that from Frank was misplaced. Uh, I, well. Okay, maybe in the end it was misplaced, but given what she had just done the previous night, I don't think that he thought it was. Right? It it makes a little bit of sense that if she's telling you, oh, I want you to fuck me and I want you to make it rough and I want you to do all these things, mm-hmm. that maybe that's uh, Frank's idea of what she's looking for. Yeah, I suppose. 
So I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a real problem with Frank doing that. Like, I don't have a problem. Oh, with that's bizarre. Or anything. No, I didn't think it was out of character. I'm just saying that from a storytelling to, uh, uh, prospect, I'm assuming they have to get Claire on board at least in name somehow next season, or this <laughs> is going to be a very, very short season four. Yeah, that that presidential run is doomed if Claire's not on board. Do you think it'd be an interesting choice if they have no, they have no. Um, intention at all to do a season four and they just decided to leave it at a very ambiguous but clearly destructive place for frank Oof. underwood do you think that that nah, i just feel like this is a season's a failure still <laughs> as a finale I, as a serious finale this is not this is a cliffhanger this is not a ambiguous ending there's yeah, not much of a it's, cliffhanger it's not either. really no it's it's not much of a cliffhanger i mean i think we all know what happens uh from here as far as like Frank and Claire, I don't. I don't think there's any passion. But I was the guy that thought Doug was dead last season too. That's true. Yeah, uh, I would almost be a little more up in the air if they had hit Claire in the head with a rock, <laughs> and she was laying wide eyed on the floor. Well, that's what the the illustration is about. These I'm like, if she pulled a gun out and shot Frank in the head, and it uh-huh. fades to black, that would be kind of less of a cliffhanger or more of a cliffhanger than this, because I just don't see any way out of him that makes narrative sins now i'm happy to be pleasantly surprised but you know last season ended with the knuckle wrap on the resolute desk Mm -hmm. and it was like i was fired up kind of a defining moment for the series honestly what was i was fired up for the next season and even the the year before one heartbeat away from the presidency yep fired up for the next season this i'm scared of the next season me too uh i don't know I'm with you. I, I don't know where they go from here, and it's a tough corner they've painted themselves into. Yeah. Again, there was a there's a six or seven episode stretch right in the middle of the season where I was fully engaged. Uh, I started getting disillusioned about th- three episodes ago when I'm like, ooh, I was expecting a breath breath uh, you know breakneck breathtaking thrill ride, and I'm getting this. Mm-hmm very intimate character study moments. I, I don't know about this and it's gone through this last three episodes. I just, I don't know. I feel, I feel pretty, pretty let down. Yeah. I, I wish maybe that this season had not focused so much on Doug and his recovery and stuff like that. I, I thought also it was focusing interesting on the Iowa primary as people have wrote. That's just anticlimactic. Dunbar's defeated, but she's not no. because she's like, she's right back in, back in New Hampshire. And yeah. so is Frank. So it's like, it's a mistake no, it, to make it all about the Iowa caucus as well. I th- I really think so. I think it should have been about the 2016 presidential election. Like granted it's in the run up to that, but it needed to be defined by that moment. Either mm-hmm. Frank succeeds or Frank fails. Uh, I, like you said, it's probably a case of like, We've got a season here that we want to stretch. Well, that's, that's tough because I thought that the Netflix model was going to basically give creators freedom to do whatever they want and tell the story even more so than, I mean, kind of an HBO model. And whether Fincher and Willimon wanted to extend this or Netflix leaned on them to extend this or what, it's like, what if we give the creators the freedom to do whatever they want to do and what they want to do is extend this shit and cash checks 
Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't account for that possibility. Yeah, <laughs> you get a guy in there who just never wants to end season seventeen of House That's of Cards. That's the thing, like with be... the Netflix model too, with you know the binging and like people, you can really narrow cast stuff and make. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I, man, I it doesn't feel like they could get a fifth season out of this, but I, I feel like nobody wants to let go of a hit, and that's understandable. Um, House of Cards has been a hit for Netflix. Sure. I think it's one of their higher rated original it's right they don't well might, so they never release that information i know but i would say anecdotally that orange is the new the black highest? is probably at least uh, twice as popular okay but and that's just from like podcast numbers and just general buzz that the show gets yeah um but they're kind of neck and neck in come award season like house mm. of cards gets nominations i believe uh you know, Orange and New Black far and away gets more nominations and more wins, but yeah, it's also a bigger, you know, more ensemble cast production than than this thing is. I can't imagine with with the competition, the stiff competition from HBO, that Netflix is eager to let a show like this end, where it is probably their second biggest hit that they've got. They don't have a whole lot in like that I'm hearing a lot of buzz about um, as a successor to this. Well, they got a whole bunch of Marvel titles like the Daredevil that I was actually talking to somebody oh, really? playing Destiny of all things this weekend, and he was talking about mm-hmm. how there's like plans to just really go in a deep dive with like the B the B tier of the Marvel <laughs> thing, and like great, that's what I want. Well, I mean, but it makes sense. <laughs> a lot of like, people do. A lot of people want that. Like you can make a really compelling, and it for whatever reason they decided not to with Gotham. You can make well, and that's like sorry. the Flash. What uh, I'm saying is Arrow, like like stuff like that. Uh, a superhero or a Superman television show, an X Men television show. Is a level bring back of, the adventures of Lois and Clark. That's what I want. That's all that's, I want is Dean Cain reprising his role as Superman. Oh, such low stakes <laughs> Superman action. That's the problem with those shows. Like you either do them small budget and Superman ends up rescuing kittens from trees, or yeah. you go big budget and it never gets made because people like fuck that for television. Uh-huh. Um, but you can make a Batman. You can make a Daredevil. You could make a Punisher uh-huh. fairly cheaply, and I think it's a solid idea to take some of that. How did we get on this from? No, Just Netflix. The future of House have, of Cards, yeah, yeah. they have a lot of stuff? I don't know. Um, man, I, I don't know. Um, it doesn't feel like it, but I haven't really been paying attention. I know there's uh, there are a few things in the hopper that people are talking about. Sure. But not on the same level of, you know, high pro, this is high profile. Mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey in Netflix original drama, like their first one. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. and And to let that go... At three seasons, I don't know that anybody was prepared to do that. But and the Willamon, core mechanic Netflix, of watching anybody. Frank's scheme, watching Claire's scheme is still super entertaining, and I'm very... But it felt I like, like they the let leads. that fall by the wayside this time, a little right? Bit. Well, it's just diluted. It's like you took a good House of Cards season and yeah. you mixed it, cut it 50-50 with water, and this is what you end up with. Sure. Uh, what else do you have to say about this season or this particular episode? Um, before we get into some feedback, did you think that Claire was going to commit suicide? I kind of felt in the first half of this Ooh. episode, like her soak in the tub, the way she laid there defeated in bed after Frank refused to manhandle her. Yeah. Um, when he said, you will get on that plane and basically you're stuck with me. I'm like, oh man, if uh first lady blows her brains out in the white house <laughs> or slits or does, or does a, um, you know, a Pete Russo and slits her, takes some aspirin and, and slits uh, her wrist in the tub. That would be 
kind of interesting. I was, yeah, I was genuinely afraid for her safety throughout this episode. Yeah, I guess I was too, but I'm glad they didn't go that way. I don't. I, and I, I feel like Claire is too strong of a person to do that, and her just leaving, saying I'm going to make my own path now. I'm I'm on Team Claire now is a better option. Did you think Thomas was editorializing a little bit when she called him over to kind of get clarification about what he meant about his stuff? Is that I thought her passing out and she says, I hate how much we need each other uh-huh. was a very what the way he said, you know, what what did I say? And he's like, hatred for how much you needed each other. It's like I felt like that he might have been putting some spin for his own you know for try to get some retribution for himself am i crazy uh no when he said hatred i was like whoa that's a strong word but she actually uses that word well that's the thing but it she doesn't use it with the same emphasis that he does that's the thing like i hate shit all the time i say hate but when i say the word hatred that to me is a much stronger i agree but to a writer i have to imagine it's not it's it's a word just it's the same word in another form that is just as meaningful i think his performance the way he did it the way he chewed it too i don't mm, know okay. i got the clear he was recounting something that he had privileged information for and he was saying something to have an effect on her like i you, think you he might could be have right, said i got that impression too he could have said the same kind of he could have softened it and it been just as accurate as he did. And maybe she stays with Frank. And I think he kind of felt that there was this, you know, when he find out that she has gone rogue, that he kind of had the upper hand and I've got like, I've got this window where I can actually do something to, to hurt this man. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right about that. I mean, that's uh, one he might've put some ideas in her head. Uh, but they were her ideas, ultimately. That's one season, season four plot. I want to read you something off that I found off of Reddit that kind of blew my hair back. Okay. Uh, we talked about Carl A., who wrote in and said his daughter had this theory about, you know, if there's four seasons, 13 episodes, there's 52, car, there's 52 chapters, 52 cards and a, a, a literal deck of cards. House of Cards could have 52 chapters. It also could be a metaphor for Thomas's book. Yes. And like, whoa, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Well... I don't know whether his daughter came up with it or what, but Reddit is all about this theory now. Okay. And some person noticed that um, there's this scene where Frank is telling Thomas about getting super drunk the last time he got he got drunk at the Citadel or the Parthenon or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. And he, Thomas quips, oh, that'll be chapter eight, President Blows Chunks. Okay. Um, well, it turns out that Season one, episode eight, which is chapter eight, is literally the one where he goes to the Citadel or the Sentinel huh. and gets drunk and blows chokes with this guy. Okay, that's cool. That is telling me that this is a very strong theory. So that means that Thomas writing this unauthorized tell-all book will be somehow core to season four of the series. Sure, and that season four is probably the last season. But is that interesting? Like, Frank, is he knows that Thomas visited his wife... He knows that the next day she runs out on him. Is Frank going to try to get even, you know, what can Frank do to keep this guy from publishing his his deeds other than threaten him that, oh, I'll tell him about the fact that this book that's insanely popular is actually about you. Like, I don't know. From what I know of American culture, that would make it more popular. I think he's played his hand, right? Like, yeah, here the cards are on the table. 
Yates can see what Frank is doing, what Frank's threat is, and now he just has to decide whether or not he's willing to take that risk uh, and willing to potentially, you know, blow up this his image and his reputation mm. to to expose Frank. Although I would argue that maybe this book would be even more popular than Scorpio. That's what I'm thinking. This might not be, like, I don't know if he has to change the names or whatever like he suggests, but regardless of how he gets it out there, this could be bigger than Scorpio. I'm just saying that, and also if Frank carries through as a threat, so here's what gets you in trouble. You go on Oprah's show and you say, this book is about me. And then they find out that, no, actually you made it all up. And Oprah calls you back on a couch and, 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 and whip horse whips you in front of a national televised audience. That's bad sure. for your book. She uh-huh. has you on the couch and you say, well, this is actually an amalgam of a bunch of different people I know. And then six months later, it gets out that, no, this is all about you. That is good for your book. I think so. And then yeah. you're like, you know, this is very intensely private. This is my way of dealing with it. But unfortunately, you know, people have kind of outed me. And yes, this is my life story. That is huge for you. So, like, yeah. his leverage is no leverage at all. Like, there's no. I think you're right. Because <laughs> because that's the thing. Like, Frank has essentially said, I'm going to blackmail you with the lie, the intermediate lie you told me about your book's origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't see a downside for him, frankly. I mean, a, a book about a, a book exposing the true nature of the marriage of the president is going to, by necessity, be a bigger hit. Yeah, I would say than some fiction. And like we talked about that, or I don't know if we talked about it on air or off air, but it reminded me of the whole, you know, Bobby Knight season on the brink where he had this reporter spend a whole season with him, had unprecedented access in his office, in his locker rooms, during the games. And then when that book came out and it revealed Bobby Knight as a fairly complex asshole of a character who's a brilliant coach and who's very loyal to the people who are loyal to him, but you know, and Knight gets super offended, it was very hard for him to say, well, this is bullshit. Sure. Yeah. This guy spent a year with you documenting your life. He's a respected journalist, but he happened to write a book that's bullshit. That just doesn't work. Yeah, no. I, Frank's not going to be able to play this off. Like Frank's not going to be able to say, well, this guy's a vindictive. You had an axe. It's, I mean... No, it, it's going to be... But that's less interesting damning to, be- to Frank and and a boon for... But I, I guess what I'm getting at is all this is less interesting because, like, Rachel, expo- you know, him being exposed for Rachel's murder or, or you know, Pete's murder or Zoe's murder uh, or this book. Like, Claire leaving him will do him in. Yes. Um, and I don't see how they walk that back. So, like, all these other things are kind of like any one of these things can handicap him. Does it really matter which one is the one that brings him down? No, uh, I think I think Frank is going to be brought down by Claire, and I, I could see, you know, the only thing I feel like that could trump Claire leaving him is if there were concrete proof of him murdering someone, like if Gavin has a tape of him pushing Zoe or some stupid shit like that. Then her leaving him just becomes a cherry on the top of the media freedom, freedom, uh, feeding yeah, frenzy. Yeah, and that's... That's the only thing that can trump it. And that's that's the core difference between last season. Last season, we had all these smoking guns that some of them Frank knew about, some of them only we knew about. And it's like, yeah. oh, which is going to be the one where now? I'm like, I don't even care. Sure. The Cause, only cause way they don't add up even to, to Claire leaving him. No. The the only way that this – the only way they can get me back is if we I talked about how what if this is like some, you know – 
Frank actually is triumphant. He does win against everybody, and he goes down as one of the greatest presidents in American history. I kind of am more interested in that idea at this point. Wow. I, I just... Than seeing Frank's... Because like, like you said, narratively, I don't know how that works with Claire leaving him. Yeah, how does Frank scheme his way out of any of this shit? I He's can't got imagine. no it. allies, no leverage, nothing. No, and, and he doesn't even have public opinion anymore once his wife leaves him. Yeah, right? and like him crying in front of the desk and getting power topped by Claire. It's like all this stuff is taken away. Like they've really eroded at Frank's mystique, his petty spitting in Jesus' face. I mean, he's just turned into kind of like a and, – and also fake Putin handed Frank his ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the media is doing it too, right? They're still doing in this Jordan Valley thing. Yeah. Uh, that's all fake Putin's deal as well. Like, I, am I interested in seeing him get his vengeance on f- fake Putin as the Titanic sinks around him? No. Who cares? Not really. What if he <laughs> polishes the Titanic's bell? It's the shiniest it's ever been before it goes underwater. Who cares? <laughs> I don't know, man. I think they fucked up this se- this series in the, uh, by the end of this episode. We'll see. We'll see how it goes in uh, season four. Um, of which there will most certainly be one, yes? Yeah. From I'm, what I'm reading? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that we've talked about everything that needs to be talked about in this episode. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you want to move into feedback? Because we got quite a bit of it. Sure. Michael McBee said, okay, the season finale was interesting. Once again, on a major episode, we get another Doug special, though the scenes between him and Rachel were slightly comical. Uh, the I have to pee moment, so <laughs> awkward, but interesting nonetheless. Must say I was worried he was really going to let her go, and he uh, parenthetically acknowledges that he is, in fact, a cynical bastard. <laughs> But holy shit, what about that ending? If we get no more episodes, it would be interesting since it's obvious what happens if Claire truly leaves Frank is that his race is over unless they somehow make it work next season, which at that point I'm wondering, would it all be a farce at that? Sure, that's what we spent the last half hour basically describing. Yeah. The farcical nature of season four. (laughs) It would be interesting if this was the final episode. But not in an interesting, like, wow, that was just really spectacular. I'm like, you know, I watched this weekend Birdman and Scanner, uh, Scanner Darkly back-to-back. Those okay. were open-ended mindfuck movies that were interesting. This is interesting and kind of like, huh, well, I guess that's how, you know, his wife Bird David Birdman is. is an open-ended mindfuck? Yes, it is. M- wow. Okay. I have many. I have so many theories about what I saw with Birdman. <laughs> Jesus, Okay. Uh, but he concludes, I really like the season. Let's see what's next. And he says, insert a mental image of himself wrapping his knuckles on the Resolute desk. Mm-hmm. No knuckle, knuckle wrap in this, this season. No. Mm-mm. I saw some people on Reddit speculating that's because the season opened with him repudiating his father. Like he's, that was one of these hometown okay. folksy things that he did hoping someone would notice and like write a fucking parade magazine puff piece about. And now that he's in the Oval Office, he isn't needing that shit. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Tusk recognized it, that's for sure. Plus, he's still running a fucking race. He needs people to like him. <laughs> he needs people to like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arctur from the Netherlands. My thoughts on the complete season. The first thing I noticed pretty early on was that I was totally on board with Francis and Claire and rooting for them, which wasn't the case in seasons one and two. I <laughs> despised them and wanted to see them fail or, or suffer. Um, <laughs> I've always kind of rooted for Frank. Yeah, I don't know too. why. I don't know if it's just because it's Kevin Spacey and I like him. Uh, I or if it may be the machinations were a justification for that. I liked him because Kevin Spacey was having a lot of fun being Frank Underwood uh-huh. and saying those lines and making that character. And this season was a de- dismantling of all that kind of charm 
It was. And, it really and was. And fun yeah. to watch him scheme because he just name one Didn't victory do a lot of he scheming. had. Yeah, very, very few. He rolled over on a hurricane. Uh, he got outmaneuvered on the Amworks. Uh, he, he, Putin just, again, uh, short of him rolling over on his back and pissing himself, yeah. that victory could not be any more absolute. There on were every front, they won. Very, very temporary, fleeting moments of victory uh, mm. and that just turned to, you know, ash in his mouth. Anyway, uh, as Arctur said, he goes, something must have changed. I didn't particularly like whatever it was. I also didn't like that they gave Claire... Uh, that she grew a moral compass all of a sudden and started to become an annoying hypocrite. I know this. I'm going to be his proxy for the war that we're about to have. Okay. Francis telling her to fall in line was completely deserved, uh, in my opinion. And another thing I was on board with, he was completely right that she was part of the team from the beginning and acted like a spoiled child, changing her mind on a dime. It detracted from the believability of her character. I know Jamie T took issue with this on the forums and probably in the same. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take some issues. Line well. of argument. Yeah. Hit me with it. Uh, I don't think that Claire has ever been that amoral. What's your evidence? That she ran a a, sh- a charity, a sham charity? Yeah, and and over the course of her her loyalty has always been to Frank, obviously, and that has been eroding over the course of multiple seasons. Now I think that arc is fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think she's been flip floppy. I think she's I been do. getting things that have seemed to her to be good things on the surface of them. Sure. Like the UN appointment. Uh, and then she's not the one who flip flops on that shit. She gets Frank's boot in her face is what she gets. I, I don't but feel she also like fucked up. Like you Frank, she doesn't fuck up any worse than Frank. N- not even close. Frank gets his ass bested going on international television and denouncing season. a world leader. Okay. That's a fuck up. The trusting the Russian diplomat. The thing that brings her down, though, is Frank's uh, inability to control Petrov, right? Sure. To to deal with him. But when his ambassador dealing with foreign relations is making a mess of things, like, that's the thing I thought was surprising is that they showed Claire failing at her job. And and yes, she did have a moral compass. And here's the thing. She doesn't always fail, though. She She has setbacks. And and her moral compass... I think is finely tuned. I don't. I, I don't think she's ever. Why does she? Why does she have that outburst? What outburst? In Petrov's uh, capital. It's starting to get to her, sure. But like this, she won't stand for the amoral thing that Frank wants to do. Finally, yes, finally, someone, someone, someone dying uh, three feet from her head in the middle of the night has affected her and shaken her. Uh-huh. I, I still think if she was still the UN ambassador that we would not be having this conversation. If she was still the UN ambassador... If she was still we, getting what she wanted. Certainly, yeah. Okay. No, I, that has so nothing to do with her morals, this finely-tuned moral compass is bullshit, then. No, it's not. That has nothing to do with her morals. How? Because if she were getting any support whatsoever from Frank, I don't think it's a stretch to say she'd still be doing it, of course. Okay. Well, her, her morals have nothing to do with so, so she the can, reason she's leaving Frank. So she it's can, her desires, She her can ambition. deeply feel the moral harm she's doing to her soul, but she's going to do it anyway. Like, I kind of feel moral like Frank is... Moral harm to her soul. That's, that's, that's not right. What do you mean? It's her ambition that is not being okay, fulfilled Okay, so define whatsoever. what you think a moral compass means, because I don't get it. Doing things that are morally correct, and so they're, they're ethically good. That are 
So you think that this this uh, the, the Russian gay rights activist is that the first time she's let her moral compass override her political ambition? Um, no. Because when I, I look think back, she did a lot of stuff with um, I I don't know, man. Her her foundation was all about being ethical, being but good morals and yeah, but AMWorks, helping people. AMWorks and, is all about putting people back to work. But is it really? Or is it about Frank's legacy? That's the thing. Like You and Jamie want to say, like, well, she had this uh, water charity in Africa. Yeah. It could have been any fucking charity. She just wanted to be running this charitable think tank because that was what she needed to do to get her to the next phase of power as a means to the end, just like AMWorks just like the Jordan Valley peace plan. Frank doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. I don't think so. I mean, you can you can say that. I don't know that there's a ton of evidence that her morality had nothing to do with why she was picking a certain Because a real activist that really gave a shit about what she's trying to do over there, when she came in conflict, she got the wither I will let your child wither in your womb. Mm-hmm. If you don't do what I want you to do, which is a clear contradiction but, but of she the was, charitables. But she was being blackmailed and lied about. And I'm just saying th- that woman was a horrible woman. She, it wasn't like she was being uh, confronted with a super moral, reasonable being here. Mm-hmm. She she was smacked in the face with blackmail and lies and basically forced to to fight back. I just feel like it's it's. Claire is a lot more sympathetic in in contrast to the Dugs and the Franks in the world. The okay, ones are and doing maybe their that's job. where my my morality is is calibrated here with this show. But I think that that's the thing. <laughs> like saying that this is going back to season one and season two is a is a is a big stretch because Claire has has been shown that she's just as willing to use people to get her way um, as as Frank is. She just had enough, and when the perks stopped rolling out, then she stopped you know, seeing the point of what all they were trying to do. And maybe maybe she was a little bit more idealistic than Frank always. Like, maybe she really thought, well, we'll get in the White House and we'll fix the country's problems. I mean, I don't even know if that's the case, but the stuff that... I, I don't know. The, the stuff that Claire is doing, maybe it is just a contrast thing where, you know, she's not out killing people and therefore she's more moral than yeah. the rest of them. Uh, I I have never had a problem with the stuff she does morally. Well, that's the thing. I don't have a problem with it because I don't I don't think, and I wouldn't say like she's a hypocrite necessarily any more than Frank is a hypocrite. They're both hypocrites. They both say things that they publicly do not. They say both say things publicly. They privately do not believe. That's a definition of hypocrite. Sure. Everyone on this show, without exception that I can think of, is a hypocrite. Sure. Even the so-called water in Africa do-gooder. She what turns out to be kind of a hypocrite, too. I can't remember why. But, she, yeah, she did try to blackmail Claire. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I just feel like when you start throwing around terms like finely tuned moral compass, uh, I can't go along there. But, again, reasonable people disagree. Get back, Getting back to what Arctur was saying, he says, what I really liked about this season was the music and some of the performances, but the storylines didn't really hook me. The shock moments didn't really shock me. It seemed spread a little thin and all over the place. I agree with that. There was some shocking moments in seasons one and season two where you're just like, oh my God. This, it's like you got spitting on Jesus. The most shocking moment was Stamper being alive. Yeah. (laughs) Frankly. Uh Uh, That was shocking. I don't know. It even though I I should have seen it coming and I kind of did, Claire saying she's leaving Frank was fairly shocking. Right. 
uh, it because of how devastating it is to what he's trying to do. Um, and I just thought, I thought regardless of what happens here, Claire is not going to abandon Frank, but I think she's well within her right to do so. Man, I don't see and, how she doesn't. I know, I know. But it, but it, the, when it happened, it was surprising to me. Even though you can certainly see the seeds being sown. Because I, I was a lot like Tom. I thought that bond was unbreakable. Sure. Not I for agree. the right reasons. No, yeah. Not because they love each other. Yep. None of that. No, but, I agree. But I thought that bond was unbreakable, and it turns out it wasn't. I'm on board with everything you've said. Um, I just. I don't see how they get her back unless Frank... What can Frank off... It's got to be something that he offers her that answers her core criticism of, yeah. I want... And there's nothing he can give her that's not going to be just from him. And most of the stuff he can give her is ridiculous. He appoints her th- as the new chief justice. <laughs> <laughs> she has no... For life, yeah. Right, right. Does she, does she wear brown hair for that or blonde? That's what I want to know. Good question. Which heels does she wear for that job? Uh, Freddie from Texas said, as far as the ending was concerned, wasn't very good. Easily the least interesting storyline uh, was Frank and Claire... So them going out soured an otherwise great season. What the hell is up with Doug Stamper? Really? Least interesting storyline is Frank and Claire? I thought that was one of the more interesting storylines this season. Well, essentially, there was like one or two interesting storylines and everything else didn't matter. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, the book was interesting. I like that. Didn't matter. No, no, Doug of course not. <laughs> kind of was it, but he ultimately, you know, didn't really matter. Yeah, and I don't feel like I got a good explanation of why Doug was the way Doug was. Yeah. Like, why shoot bourbon into your mouth from what a is, syringe? And, and what, what is, is what happened to him that made him turn out so differently than his brother? Yeah. And I'm not asking that because I want to see six episodes of his childhood. I don't want, I won't want <laughs> a season, you know, Boardwalk Empire season where we go back to Golden Age Doug and all that bullshit. It's going to be like Southern California curious. and it's going to be drab and blue. And what happened horrible. to this guy that he turned out like, uh, you know, I said a cuckoo before that, he, you know, his brother's warm and loving and mm-hmm. family means everything. And Doug is this alien lizard hatchling. I don't know, man. I don't know. But I don't know but they never did a really good job of telling us anything about why Doug is feeling the way he's feeling yep. and why he does the things he does. Uh, Freddie uh, continues, what the hell's up with Doug Stamper, chief of fucking staff of the White House, going out on a several-day, if not week-long tracking, a murder mission. Mm-hmm. Had to suspend my belief quite a bit for that one, and that's saying a lot for a show where the president of the United States has two single-handed murders under his belt. <laughs> the only thing I would think that Bo Willimon would say is that, well, he's not chief of staff yet. So he's, he's, been, he's appointed, been a private not citizen for a year now, yeah. and he hasn't been announced, so he can kind of still fly under the radar. You might be right about that, yeah. But I just think that when his face is flashed on the screen, that he's just been recently put in the chief of staff, there's going to be a lot of gas station attendants mm-hmm. and stewardesses. Used van salesmen. And people in, you know, flights coming to and from Caracas. They're going to be like, hey, I saw that guy. What the heck? Mm-hmm. Amelia said, I have the DVDs of the British version of House of Cards, and I think it's interesting that it is a trilogy. Three seasons of four episodes huh. each. The first season is uh, F.U., which he's not. It's Frank Frank something else, Underhill or something. Oh. His rise from chief whip to prime minister to second focuses on a conflict with the king. And the third is his descent. The American version is dragging for too long. It seems like that's probably yeah. right. Like you're already, you know, nine episodes longer per season. And now you're going to go and add another season on this. 
No, it felt like they just needed to make this the downfall of Frank. She says that they could have stuck with the three-season format, and she allows that adding a few more episodes per season would have allowed for subplots to focus on Claire, which is good. Mm -hmm. But there's just too much. She says, regarding Claire, I don't think she realized how powerless and dependent on Frank she would be as the first lady. She sees herself as essential to his success, but lacks any real power significance once he reached his goal. Of course, Frank's power is also limited. This season, he failed at pretty much everything he tried to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I mean that is kind of interesting. Like that was one of the problems I had very early on. Is like Frank Underwood, who's made a career of showing that Congress has got more power than the president, has become president and is just gobsmacked <laughs> that Congress has more power than him. I'm beginning to think this is an illusion of power. Right. Well, no, you've been thinking that for years. This is how you got to the seat you're in, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Uh, Poppy from England said, I really enjoyed the season as a whole, but I must say I'm feeling pretty fucking disgusted with the whole stamper killing Rachel thing. It seems to convey the message of young women being completely disposable and constantly overpowered by their male oppressors. Doug was a control freak and has succeeded in controlling her down to her death. Now, not that I'm against sick and twisted things happening in House of Cards. I kind of liked the other murders for the shock value, but this was something else. Uh, This is kind of Doug's Zoe plot. A young woman he used to her maximum potential, tried to kill her. She got away, but surprise, surprise, he's able to track her down and kill her. Okay. I mean, I don't know if I want to get too, like, you know, uh, social justice on this. Mm-hmm. Because, sure, that's a concern, but there's so much else in House of Cards that's, that's also a concern. I, I, don't, I don't know. To me, it's just... I don't... I don't think so if i were to go down the social justice angle i don't think they're portraying this as a positive thing certainly not but there it's kind of like the 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 argument about like uh brutalizing women and minorities in video games is very rarely seen in a positive light but it's done so much as this trope like a, a a weak powerless woman that needs to be saved by a man that sure. even if they're trying to portray that in a negative light, just by reinforcing the social stereotype, they are still doing damage. Uh, that's hard for me to argue against. Well, I would argue against by, do you just not talk about it then? Are you just not allowed to say anything about it? No, but to the extent that you use a lazy stereotype, don't be surprised when you get called out for using a lazy stereotype. If you're not adding but anything I would argue that this. it's not a lazy stereotype if you're pointing out that this is a bad thing. And encouraging people to think about why that's bad. But they don't. Like, no, 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 no. They, no one goes away from I'm... Taken and says, oh, God, <laughs> you know, sexual slavery is just terrible. No, obviously And I got to do something about this. That's not like, what that it, movie is doing. It could happen to Liam Neeson's daughter. It could happen to any of our daughters worldwide. No, you come out thinking, obviously, oh, Liam Neeson that is a farce. righteously kicked ass. And sure. I don't think that this is doing anything new or interesting with the to- the concept either. No, I don't think so. Um, Let's see. Let's see. What else? Uh, yeah, moving on uh, from Holy Blotter Batman from our forums from Seattle. says, to me, the season just su- too damn slow. We barely made it to pass the Iowa caucus, which in itself had way too much writing on it. I feel like episode 13 should have been episode four or five. I was expecting the show to run through the 2016 elections, but instead we got a series of mired plot lines that ultimately went nowhere. Did we really need 12 episodes to track down Rachel? 10 episodes to research a book that was never written? Eight episodes on a Russian plot that ultimately went nowhere? Well, it did go somewhere. It's called Frank Humiliation Town, Population Frank Underwood. And the book is being written as we speak. Right, but still... The Doug thing, yeah, the Doug thing's bullshit. 
Well, I'm saying like those aren't I'm not saying that to disprove his point. I'm just saying that it actually was worse. It didn't go nowhere. It went to ultimately negative positions for our central characters. That's, but but th- he continues there yeah. are there are no stakes to the season. Instead, we got a neutered Frank, an aimless Claire, a broken Stamper, a James Bond villain, and a cadre of ridiculous characters that aren't even relevant enough to mention. Uh he includes Remy, Seth, Jackie, Kate, and even Dunbar. What do you think of Jackie and Remy at the end of the day? Uh, That's another one that kind of went nowhere. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of happy for Remy getting out of all of this bullshit. Like, I don't know where he goes from here, but I think Remy is one of the characters who has something positive to look forward to at this point. Uh, yeah, now, I, feel- I don't know what it does to Jackie's family. I think that's that's probably bad news. But, uh, but it feels like every season there's these cast of characters that get discarded. Like, yeah. they are the, uh, you know, it's it's like a, the anti-Scooby-Doo. You know, like instead of the person getting their mask and said, oh, I would have gotten away with it instead of you kids. It's like that guy gets away with it and peels out in his, uh, you know, after he st- steals the mystery machine from the kids and laughs at it as he drives off in the distance. And like, you know. Okay. Uh, we're like I'm talking like the Hammer and Janine and Gavin and and yeah. uh, whoever the girl who got kicked out of the press corps and Kate replaced her. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these people like I feel like they're going to get together one day. Like and now and now Remy and kind of Jackie join that cast and they're going to join this Super Friends group to bring him down. Like they're going to all right. Here's yeah. all of our n- journals. Here's the Hammer. Here's Janine. Here's Kate. Here's Jackie. Here's Remy. We're going to all come together and we're going to take him down. But that seems ridiculous. It's yeah. How many fucking guns do you need pointed at one dude's head? You know, just the law of narrative economy would say that you need one. You just need the one that's smoking. That's really it. We've got a whole fucking parade of smoking guns at this point. Smoking guns to what end? Like, if you really want to take down Frank you've got to get him on something that's illegal enough to where he's going to be Claire leaving him as a gun going off right now on camera. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> that's the that's the one smoking gun. I feel like the rest of them are not smoking anymore. Uh, Stamper put down the the other smoking gun which was Rachel. If Rachel's body turns up and they 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 get Stamper getting out of this van and her him putting in putting her mm-hmm. into this van which by the way was parked right outside where she worked sure. and lived I I don't know. That's that's pretty pretty smoking too. Gavin, world famous hacker extraordinaire, that just got f- his fucking ego hurt and burned. Another you know smoking gun. I, there's to me too many smoking guns. Yeah, I I just the stamper thing is a little more smoking than the Gavin thing because like what what is Gavin going to uncover about what Rachel? can't he uncover? That she slept with Russo and uh, the whole thing about Frank killing him. He can't uncover that. Yeah, it's true. That's not possible. She's dead now. There's no no links to that. The only person who knows about that now is Stamper. What about Lisa? Did she ever tell Lisa any of that stuff? Maybe. Details? Maybe. Yeah. And now he's got to go back for his gerbil, so... Well, I know that Lisa knows about Stamper, at least the fact that Rachel was afraid of her. He was creepy. Yeah. Well, there's another. There's another one. Super Friends. Uh, Lisa and the Gerbil. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Trippy from St. Louis said, regarding the unbelievability of the Amworks program, I realized that from a writing perspective, it may have been difficult to explain how exactly Social Security is being done away with, but I really didn't want to know exactly how that was going to work. Huh. It's a big deal. Is it simply going to go away entirely? Sure. Is there uh, a grandfather clause? Everyone currently of age X of older will still get their payments, but anyone younger will never see it. You know, there are many that don't like Social Security, but there's this, this is a train that's difficult to stop. I, for one, would be asking for a refund for all the Social Security I've paid in since I was 14. Huh. Uh, Good luck with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, Just take that money and fund Amworks. <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah, don't rate. I mean, I think that's what he wanted to do. But take I, it from FEMA instead. But you can't. That's the thing. Like, you can't get rid of Social Security. Because it's actively like social being security paid out. has to fail before you can get rid of it, and it's not going to fail for many years hence. Yeah, I mean, and it's going to be too late. It depends late. on what you think by what you actually mean by failing. The government can't write checks anymore because they're out of money. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a little ways off. It goes but, bankrupt, you know. Like yeah. I, but I, yeah, I don't know, and I agree. It'd be one thing if. Like, there just wasn't enough time. But I feel like the season was bloated. And I would like yeah. to see the show get wonkier about, you know, like, what's the crazy, weird-ass, king-for-a-day thing you should think politicians do and just run with that? And Appoint their wives as UN ambassadors. <laughs> <laughs> Vice president. Like, you uh, Exerting some loophole in the uh, laws? I don't know. No, but I, I'm with Trippy here. I kind of wish they'd get a little bit wonkier and talk about how these plans actually would work. And they got away with, like, the education bill because, you know, education reform is always nebulous and, you know, it's super important, but nobody really knows how to do it. Social Security is sure. like, I feel like more people have opinions on. It's a touchier topic. Huh. Uh, Ant-Man B uh, from New Jersey said, I like the season as a whole, and I have similar complaints like many other people, but I was particularly disappointed with the finale. It didn't feel like a finale. I was underwhelmed by Claire Wheat leaving, and way too much time was spent on Stamper stamping out Rachel. Yeah. Whoever said that in the podcast feedback that the show would last four seasons so that the, they got a 52-episode run and it would symbolize all the how, decks or all the cards in a, a deck should get a gold star. What a great insight, and I hope we get just one more season so that exact thing happens. That was, again, Carl A., specifically Carl A.'s daughter that yeah. came up with that theory. Matthias from Germany said, Here's the main reason I'm writing to you. What really bummed me out was seeing Rachel die. How, did that, how much did that poor woman have to suffer at the hands of Stamper? For real. <laughs> For an entire season, we wonder if she's still alive. Then we finally see her in the last episode that she is and that she's happy until she is captured and murdered in the creepiest and coldest fashion by Doug. For me, this truly was a Game of Thrones like, oh, my God, they did not just kill her moment. I want to say we didn't get to touch on this, but it was super creepy, Doug's effect dealing with her. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it made my skin crawl the whole like if you just breathe deep, it's going to be all over. And her trying to squirm to the last to get away from him just. Ah, sure. Killer killers are ne not usually that sympathetic. But he just was throwing origami wads of paper with his three year old niece a couple episodes ago. Man, sure. A couple episodes before that, he was taking shots of bourbon from a hooker syringe. I just this guy. Yep. Um, I speculate that what the authors were trying to show here was in spite of Doug's twisted romantic feelings for Rachel, his loyalty to Frank would always be stronger, and yeah. we as the audience should have never questioned that loyalty. Mm -hmm. um, I get it. However, Rachel's death didn't seem like an inevitable climax, but so pointless and unjust that it left me angry. 
I know that some people argue, what did you expect? I was only ta- uh, this was only taking the Doug and Rachel story to its logical conclusion. However, I think a scenario in which Doug shows mercy and believes Rachel that she will assume a new identity and never look back would have appeared equally plausible, at least to me. While we're at it, do you and Jim think that Doug ever truly had an intention of letting her go when she begged him for his life and that running her over was a last-minute change of heart or that he planned all along to do it that way? There's no way, right? I don't think he planned to let her go and then run her down the street. It's just uh, hard to kill somebody. Like I, I imagine it, so. Like, yeah. Doug is a cold motherfucker. I think it had to go down this way because I don't think he could kill her with her ungagged begging for her life. That's mm-hmm. just... That's just cold. Yeah, and it, man, that's rough, especially when he ostensibly loves this woman, right? But, like, I don't know how much that still lingers in his mind. Yeah, uh, or does he have this complex opus relationship with his mom? He's projecting. I mean, there's just some weird shit. <laughs> sure, but it's almost like his conscious and subconscious here are in a battle, and he wills his conscious to win this by killing her. Anyway, Matthias continues, um... I thought it was a shameful end to the season. The showrunners basically completely flipped around what looked like a pretty definitive ending to the story at the end of last season. Instead of Doug dies, Rachel survives. This time we get Rachel dies, Doug survives. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe Rachel survives after all and will punch <laughs> her way out of the grave in true Uma uh-huh. Thurman Kill Bill fashion. Yep. After Doug's comeback from the dead at the beginning of the season, everything seems possible. You're right. You're right. I wouldn't put anything past this show. Um... Let's see. Luis R. from Iowa says, my question is a general one that I would love for you guys to address if you can. You always talk about who wrote certain episodes, like unlike Downton Abbey, where Baron Fellows writes and directs all other shows have different writers for each episode, like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, House of Cards, etc. Do they have a basic idea what's going to happen at the end of the show and writers just fill in the dialogue? How does it work overall? I remember there were episodes where the Villigan did not write, but he had to be control of what was going on, right? You guys can do a podcast on this and maybe an interview a writer or just talk about what you guys know. That would be great. It's not enough for a whole show than any comments on House of Cards or Better Call Saul would be good, too. Let me talk about what I know. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything really about so it. So we did an interview with Taylor Elmore, who is a writer, producer, co-producer of Justified back uh-huh. in season three. And, you know, because we wondered a lot of the same things, and I think that interview is kind of interesting, and I'll post it in the show notes if you want a good read. But essentially, a writer's room is what it sounds like. You have one central voice, like a Villigan or a Willimon or a Terrence Winter or Matthew Weiner, and they they all kind of work out the bare bones, and they use index cards, they use whiteboards. Yeah. They lay it out and they kind of break it up and give it to individual writers to, like you say, actually, you know, come up with the plot points and where there's friction and then come back to the writer's room and, you know, brainstorm how you can avoid that or what's the best way to say this. And then, the you know, the actors get their say and the directors get their say. It's more of a collaboration. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it does seem to work best when you have one guy who really is the central voice or vision of something. Uh, sure. But I'll, I'll post that in the short the the show notes. The interview with Taylor Elmore, uh, JJ Reinhold says this season has gotten progressively better, with the exception of Claire. I feel she is getting more and more out of character as the season progresses. She knew what she was getting into back when she married Frank, and especially once they got the White House. That doesn't excuse excuse Frank's continual abuse, but she must have known what her role would be as Flotus. About Doug in the final episode, it looks like his last roadblock blow, roadblock on his road to recovery was Rachel. It seems she was yet another addiction for him, and he couldn't function until she was gone. 
I know it's a pretty dark take on it, but I see a lot of parallels between their relationship and his alcoholism. Huh. One last note. Would you mind giving me a shout out as a composer of the theme song? That would be totally awesome. JJ Reinhold. Yes, we actually fucked that up and, and forgot until like an episode or two ago, but we'll give you another plug. Uh, the phenomenal uh, theme for our podcast is from him. You can go to SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash Jeremy Reinhold. R-E-I-N-H-O-L-D. I'll put that in the show notes, too. I think Jeremy is the harder part to spell on that. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, jeremyreinhold.com. Also, you can find his other works. And I'll, I'll link both of those in our show notes. Thank you again. It's really nice to have, you know, music that we illegally can use in a podcast instead of just <laughs> snatching stuff and, cl- and hoping to claim fair use if we ever get sued. Sure. So thanks. We appreciate it, man. Uh, Jake T said prediction Claire leaving, leaving Francis is going to make him look weak while running for reelection. He's going to come out of the closet and the nation will rally behind him. Now I'll push him over the top what? and he will win. No fucking That's way. Right. Not possible in America. Like as much as gay rights has advanced in this country and in, in recent times, that is not possible in this country yet. I mean, unfortunately, I'm not for that shit. I, I think it's terrible. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but there's no way that a president comes out as openly gay and wins an election. But, you know, people said that about Irish Catholics and then Kennedy finally won. Like, you know, we've had a black man as a president. I just feel like that, yes, it would strain my credibility, the United States, the, that America that I know would just rally behind. I'm telling you, man, he president. doesn't win. He doesn't win those swing states. He doesn't win Iowa. He doesn't win fucking Ohio. He doesn't win Florida. He doesn't win any of those. Yeah. Sorry, it just doesn't happen. Like, it sucks. That How that far in the happen. future would something have to be for you to believe that? 10 years? Probably 20. 20. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ben R said, I love to hear you guys talk about Jackie Sharp and how she always backs the wrong horse at her own peril. In season two, she went against both Claire and Frank and supported the military sexual assault bill and ultimately ended up costing her relationship with Remy. This season, she abandons her support from Frank to back Dunbar only for Dunbar to be defeated. And Jackie is once again left hanging in the wind. It's clear that Jackie is not the brilliant strategist or tactician that Frank is. She's like Pete Campbell trying to go against Roger Sterling. The question I have for you is, where do you think her character arc is going? That's do you think a she'll finally really prevail question. or end in tragedy? I don't even know that her character arc isn't already over. Who does Frank... Yeah, she's... Like, she's, run off into the sunset with Remy and she's just Thelma, call it a day. She's Thelma for my uh, anti-Scooby-Doo <laughs> analogy. So, so Thelma runs off with the bad guy in the van? Is that what's <laughs> happening? Uh, I don't know. Who's Remy? Fra- Fred? Uh, Shaggy? Sure. Scooby? <laughs> Shaggy. <laughs> he doesn't seem like Shaggy. He's got a there's not There's head. not that many characters you can plug into the Scooby-Doo gang. You know? That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I don't know. It seems to me like Jackie's arc might be over. Well, Frank does need a vice president because Jackie ain't it. Do you think mm. he's going to form an alliance with Dunbar? Ugh. I can't see that. And why did they have Dunbar? Why did the Supreme Court thing come along? Uh, that was. I, mean, I felt it, like that was to show a little bit of character of Dunbar. Uh, the fact that like she's tempt becoming... her, 
yeah, show show her being given what she really wants, I guess, and then saying no. Instead, I want power. I want the power. Yeah, right. that she's being corrupted by everyone around her. Yeah, I don't know where Jackie and I like Jackie's character, and like I'm not one of the ones like stepping a lot of like I don't know who are these people. Why should I care about them? But at the end of this season, I'm kind of like, who are these people? Why should I care about them? <laughs> sure. Uh, she's really kind of a magnetic person to watch though. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, maybe they'll, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Frank will be desperate and still tap her to be vice president. And that'll be entertaining. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, Danny H from Manchester. I'm responding regarding your discussion about how you couldn't watch a show. If you weren't an American with an interest in American politics. Well, I'm from the UK and I barely any interest in my own political system, let alone yours. <laughs> but I love this show. I just apply things Why? from my own political world to the show to make sense of things I don't understand. Okay. However, as Jim stated last week, the show hasn't taught me anything new about American politics either. And the UK House of Cards didn't do it for you and it didn't do it for me either. You should both check out the very, very funny British political satire, The Thick of It, which is hmm. what Veep is based on. Oh, really? Did not know that. We're just pilfering British comedies. I guess so. It provides a very good image of real-life politics as well as being completely hilarious. It also has a spin doctor character of Malcolm Tucker who would give Frank a run for his money any day, murders of alcoholics and young women aside. Would you agree that in hindsight it's fairly clear that they've been spending all of season three getting us set up for Claire running against Frank to be president in season four? They've been banging mm. us over the head with the fact that she's more popular to voters all year. Yeah, they have. Claire and Frank. Claire is Frank and Dunmar mixed together with more popularity than both put together. I don't know, man. Man. Uh, she's got no... Everything you could say about her as ambassador of the UN applies treble for this job. It's true. It's true. Uh, Damn. Would be would it be less plausible than any of the other stuff we've seen go down this season? No, but that that doesn't make me feel better. No, uh, of course not. <laughs> He's just asking, do you think they'll do it? And I, I can't say no. I again, it feels like a rehash of the UN appointment. Yeah, only does. more ridiculous because of what we know <laughs> about them at this point too. Uh huh. Uh, he says, also, I really th- like the way you did the podcast in this season. I thought it was great for the podcast and worked really well. However, podcasting concerns aside, I think perhaps this show is better marathon in a few settings, like one long film where you don't have time to notice or dwell on the inconsistencies and plot holes. Hmm. That's an honest question. Do you think that part of our disenfranchisement with House of Cards is because we did take fairly long breaks in between watching it and we watch single episodes more what we did is we watched like the first four or five and then we watched the last, we knew we don't watch one or two together. And I, I think doing spacing out that helped out on feedback and a lot of other things that made the podcast better. But I wonder, I wonder if we'd be this negative if we had just done a binge like we did the year before. Yeah, you might be right. Cause the year before we didn't consider hardly any feedback um, no. because we, we did it over the course of a week. We were watching like, there's no way anyone could have had a, f- you know, more. no, we watched an episode, sat down, immediately recorded a podcast and released yeah. it, then went back and watched another episode. Did the whole thing in 48 hours. Yeah. Um, no time for feedback. And I we think, were punchy. I think we were. And the that finale might have worked better if we had had like three hours of sleep the night before. I, I and... think so. Yeah. Um, but uh, sure. I think given time to dissect a middling to weak plot is a bad thing. Didn't help um, things. No, certainly. But I'll go back. Like I said, there, there's that seven to eight at stretch between like episode three and episode 
yeah. ten that we were really into. Definitely. Because there were stakes. Yeah, Petrov. And and, Petrov and also we were stakes. We were thinking that this would be it. This would be the final season. We're still kind of looking I mean, at, at one, that trajectory. At one point we were contemplating World War Three coming yeah. at the end of this season. Yeah. We got nothing close to that. No. Liz G said Dunbar uh really screwed up. Did she think that she could push Frank against the wall and that he would just slither away? I was not surprised that Doug betrayed Dunbar. Doug only cares about Frank. Doug's brother tried to tell him that he shouldn't invest his whole life, his whole existence to Frank, but it fell on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Everything Doug does is for Frank. He's it's, the nuclear. The nuclear? Well, we might get <laughs> World War Three confirmed. Uh, that's the explanation that makes sense to me of why he's so obsessed with Rachel. Rachel being out there and Frank knowing that she's alive has consumed him. Doug did not want to let Frank down or disappoint him again. And yet... Doug knew deep down that he would need some sort of leverage one day in order to keep himself back in good standing with Frank. The journal. Why else would he keep the journal? He knew it could be used against Frank one day. That is an interesting dichotomy. He loves and respects and admires this man so much and is so loyal. And he knows Frank so well that no, he'll, he'll need a piece of fake blackmail to win himself back into his good graces at some point. Yeah, he'll need to prove himself to Frank. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sure. Why not? Uh, do you? Th- how do you think Doug actually killed Rachel? Did he run her over? Or was it more of a personal face-to-face? I like the idea that he just ran her down. Full-on Joe Blackter. Yeah, just right over the top of her. Uh, I wonder if we'll get flashbacks in the next season to answer the question. I think Doug will have difficulty living with what he did, even though he did it for Frank. I agree that we are going to see some real Phantom of the Opera type shit from Doug next year. <laughs> okay. Because he's lost all connection with his humanity at this point. What I mean, what is worse than having a hooker spray bourbon into your mouth from a syringe? Is there is there I a mean, lower? He can literally point wear than a that? mask, get an organ in the executive <laughs> office, and, uh-huh. and yes, all right, smash Frank with a huge chandelier. Sure. Okay, perfect. There are uh, a lot of big chandeliers in the White House too. <laughs> I bet so there are. So watch out, Frank. I bet there are. Hide your mandalas. Hide your chandeliers. <laughs> uh. No official statement about the release date of season four. Liz continues. The creator has gone out of his way to dodge answering that question. He steals a line for Frank Underwood and says, you might very well ask that. I couldn't possibly comment. I love the suggestion from a listener that House of Cards will be the book that Thomas writes. It reminds me that I've read books that are fiction but are believed to be based on real-life politics, uh, such as The American Wife by Chris Sittenfield. tells the story of Laura Bush uses different names. His character has an abortion, accidentally kills a classmate in a car accident, and eventually married a man very much like George Bush. And also the governor's wife by Mark Gimenez appears to be about Rick Perry and his wife, who in the book is a nurse just like Anita Perry. I even read that Rick Perry read the book and enjoyed it. That's interesting. Huh. Um, I'm have to check it because I, I do like a good political parable. All right. Like a dog, you know, wag the dog type of thing. Yeah. Jeremy J, uh, we only got a couple more left, says, I won't take the opportunity to dogpile on some of season three lower points, but I did very much like the use of black and white as metaphors with hair color, eggs, Claire's clothing, the lighting style and art direction on the show has been outstanding. I love the use of close-ups and reflections, all motivated and pulled off brilliantly, I thought. no, Nobody says the show doesn't look like a million dollars. No, looks great. It, it is it very, and except for New Mexico, it's a very enjoyable <laughs> show to watch. Yeah. Uh, Mike C says House of Cards season three itself was unfortunately a disappointment. I'd expect this storyline showing us more successful Frank 
take President Frank tanking names and kicking ass, making it almost justifiable how he got into office before his inevitable fall, but that's not what we got. Instead, they show me how it would be for the same morons that run my beloved Cleveland Browns got control of the Oval Office. It's been the drive, the fumble, red right 88 over and over again. I halfway expected Frank to name Johnny Manziel as his VP candidate in the finale. There you go. Johnny Football, vice president, presidential candidate for next year. Sure. Uh, look, I try very hard not to be one of those people who complain when a show takes a storyline in the opposite direction than what I was expecting. I like getting surprised, but this season came off to me as if the writers had hated Frank Underwood since his creation and just wanted to bury him once and for all. I can't see how season four could possibly be must-see TV from here. I have absolutely no interest in watching another season of Underwood, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, man, I, I think you can tell we're kind of there with you. Yeah. Uh, final. I, I won't say I have no interest. I I still am going to watch season four. Uh, I just am not as excited about it as I could have been. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I'm going to finish it for sure. Yeah, I just There's no way we don't. Never would have thought that I would be coming into a, a potential season four House of Cards thinking, oh man. Yeah, I'd be more like, oh man, how are they going to do it? It's not like, oh man, how are they going to do it? Mm-hmm. Final one, Mark from Milwaukee said he's vote, rooting for an Underwood, Underwood ticket. Frank will eventually get impeached and Claire will then become president. At the very least, it'd be interesting to see an impeachment process from the Underwood's perspective. Are you interested in seeing I just the Underwood, Underwood thing? I, I can't get behind. I can't imagine it happening. Uh, Him being impeached, sure. Yeah. Frank, Claire being president, like a la Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. with, fine. I'm I'm cool with that. I just don't see how they're going to make it work in a way that I would be interested in watching. Sure. I'm with you. Like if they flash for, okay. Flash forward 12 years. Claire, a decade older and wiser and away from, from her, from Frank is now running for president. And Frank is this like, imagine Ron Burgundy after he gets (laughs) fired from the set of, of uh, Stay Classy San Diego, uh-huh. walking around drinking warm milk out of the jug, and he he tries to destroy her career from the shadows, him and Doug. No. No. <laughs> Sorry, don't like it. Is it just because you can't see, you, you, you can't bear to see Robin Robin Wright with crow's feet? Or no, is it just... No, fine, fine. Uh, she's going to get him eventually, regardless of how much... Uh botulism she injects to her face i don't know i don't know man her her pretty good genes too sure yeah uh but i just it's such a i don't know the show's a farce at that point like i feel like we have to come back basically right after we did or i like ultimately the the show is about frank and claire and the presidency and i don't feel like that's the direction it needs to take would you be interested in seeing a spinoff from like a Republican administration, like House of Cards Part Two, hmm. the elephant version, uh, with Benito Martinez at the helm? Well, apparently he got brought down by scandal or his shooting schedule for yeah, blacklisted and closer or whatever the hell he's doing. Uh, no, not particularly. I'm not big on these types of political shows in hmm. first place. This one was different because, like I said, I like Kevin Spacey, uh, and I kind of got in on it right from the ground floor and uh, had a lot of help from listeners and from you kind of getting into the politics of all of it. See, I'd love Normally it shit. doesn't do... I know. I know you do. But I know I, I wouldn't do a spinoff. For one thing, 
I think one of the things that's made the show watchable is that they did do it with a Democrat administration because I can only imagine what, you know, what Hollywood would do with oh, an amoral boy. Republican presidency. Uh-huh. What those liberal Hollywood guys like, would do. It, it, it's like it. <laughs> some of the plot lines, I just don't see how they pull off without it just being, like you said, a farce. Yeah. So by having it kind of be their, broadly speaking, team in power doing the scheming, it, it made it made people just take it as it is rather than talk about what kind of political agenda they're trying to pull. But uh, yeah, that's that's season three. It's in the books. We are not going to be doing a wrap up cast. Uh, we did this an extra. kind of was it. This yeah. this was the wrap up cast. This is extra long feedback yeah, mailbag segment, and uh, I don't really want to do a wrap up of this season. I want to, you know, I want someone to spray some bourbon in my mouth, get the taste of yeah. it out, get reset for season four. Um, I'm hoping they can generate. I mean, they they do make good trailers. Every single trailer for a season has looked amazing, sure. so they can probably bring me back. I just man. I'm going to be wanting to see how they bring Claire and him back together or make Claire not to be a threat in the first two seasons. Like here's something shocking. Claire gets killed in a, a car wreck in the first episode in that, a that, car wreck that Frank engineers with Meacham's help. That makes that situation oh my God. Go, go away. Right. You and think that, Meacham would help him kill Claire? I don't know. I think Stamper would. Well, there you go. But, but the thing is, is, she's being protected by the Secret Service. There has to be some yeah. kind of, and they made a big deal that he's kind of like the boss of her detail. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> that'd be one that they kill Claire in the early goings. So she suffers what seems to be a tragic death during the campaign. That could win him the election right there. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that's it. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we were had a lot of fun podcasting. It was a super busy season for us, um, but I didn't enjoy it. It's too bad that kind of turned out disappointing, but better luck next year, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, and I always have fun podcasting about this show regardless. If this is the first experience you've had with our works, uh, please feel free to join us. Uh, we're wrapping up Better Call Saul, The Walking Dead, and Justified right now. Uh, we'll be starting Mad Men and, uh, this this weekend and uh, Game of Thrones the weekend after next. And who knows what else will be coming out in the spring and summer. Uh, but you can follow us at Facebook.com slash BaldMove and on Twitter at BaldMove to fi- uh, follow our entire release schedule. Uh, you can also keep in touch with us on the BaldMove.com website and on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. See you next season if you don't uh, want to follow us through any of those. If there is a next season. If there is a next season. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye.